reading this morning is Acts 4, verses 23 to the end. And it's on page 1035 in the Normal Church Bible, and on page 1932 in the Large Print Bible. On their release, Peter and John went to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do nations rage and the peoples plot in the vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what they what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform with signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they had met, were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, uh, Colin. Uh, I heard that read at our first... Uh, good morning, everybody, by the way. Great to see you. Welcome to Paul Ratcliffe over there. Give him a round of applause. Now, um, yeah, I heard that this morning at our first service, and I had a vivid flashback, because when I became a Christian, I was at university, I was about 19, and uh, I went to this Bible study. I didn't know what a Bible study was, but this was the passage, and the person leading the Bible study asked questions, and he asked this question, and there was this total silence so I answered the question, brand new Christian, first time, answered the question. He looked at me and in front of everybody went, nah. <laughs> so that's how I learned not to lead Bible studies. And then I read this week in 2 Corinthians that God is not a yes and a no God. God is a God whose answer to us in Jesus is also always Always yes, not nah or no, but yes. So shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for your yes to us in Jesus Christ. And we pray as we share this scripture together, we would each hear your particular yes to us. That it would be good news to us. May it be so, Lord, yes. In Jesus' name, amen. So please open your Bible if you've closed it or if you haven't opened one yet at Acts chapter 4, verse 23, the believer's prayer. So 
just got three simple sections in this sermon. The first is an introduction and an idea I want to share with you, a picture I want to share with you. But what's just happened here, it's important to know the context. What has just happened is that Peter and John have been arrested for healing a lame beggar and preaching the gospel. And the Jewish authorities, the Sanhedrin, the council, have said to them, you've got to stop talking about Jesus. And what did Peter and John say? The answer is there in chapter 4, verse 19. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And that's all that we're called to do, to speak about what we have seen and heard in Jesus, what we know, what we have experienced in Jesus. And nobody can or should ever try to stop us doing that. And if they do, we should not hear that. So what they do, they go back to base. And if you have a look at verse 23, it says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that had happened. They went back to their own people. So this picture I want to show you is about going back to your own people, going home, going back to base, going back to the place where you are known and loved and accepted, to your family. And that for you might be your own family, but it's also the family of God's people, the church. And so there, straight away, is a very important principle for us. And here it is. It's conveyed by this simple shape, this life shape. One of the ways we can understand what it means to follow Jesus through these simple shapes, and this is the semicircle. And the semicircle, as you can see, is a simple pendulum. It's a simple, rhythmic, continual movement in our Christian lives between two things, between work and rest, between engagement with the world and coming back to base to the family of God where we are restored and nurtured and made better and whole before we engage again with the world. It's the pendulum and a movement between giving our witness in the world and coming back home to our own people where we are resourced again. It's something to do with the God who is the God of Sabbath and rest. It's what Jane discerned as she was leading worship, that God is here and God is happy and God is pleased to be with us. That's the right-hand side of the pendulum. That's what happens when we come back to base. That's what was happening in Acts chapter 4. They'd been giving their witness in the world and they needed to come back home to the safety of God's people where they could pray and rest and be restored. It's the pendulum between action and rest, between fruitfulness out in the world and abiding in Jesus. Remember Jesus said, abide in me. Unless you abide in me, you can't bear fruit. So we have to rest in him before we can engage in the world in a fruitful way. Do you get, them? Do you get that? 
And that's good news, isn't it? That's what we see being played out here in Acts chapter 4. They knew that they had to be active in the world, but also restful with God's people in the presence of God and in prayer because God is our heart's true home and he is our place of rest. And seriously, uh, this is really important. This isn't just you know, a tip for a, a nice life. This is gospel stuff. This is what marks us out as different in a world of frantic activity and stress and work and frantic self-securing. This is the movement that shows the world that we believe it's not all down to us. Actually, we believe in a God of grace who takes pleasure in us who wants us to rest, who wants us to find peace. And that by doing that, we demonstrate that we believe in God. Yeah? That it doesn't all depend on me and how many hours I put in. Actually, it all depends on God. And unless we engage in this life-giving rhythm of work and rest, actually our lives tell a different story. We're working all the time. We're saying, actually, it all depends on me. I don't believe that stuff about God. That's what our lives are saying. So uh, I need to hear that. And all vicars need to hear this. Uh, Paul Ratcliffe, agree with me. It is true. This is about the gospel, what we actually believe. So that's the first, my kind of, the first thing of three, um, the introduction. But you can see the early church... They couldn't be accused of being idle or passive. They were deeply involved, weren't they, with the world. But neither can they be condemned as purely activist or over-busy. And I think that's something to think about for all of us. But for any church going into a vacancy, church wardens take note, Linda, this is really, really important. And this should be a blessing to you. The second thing is just to look at the passage itself. I don't know what was said in that Bible study when I was 19 years old and a fresh Christian, uh, but let's look at this and see, see find the yes in it um, to us. So have a look at the passage. There we are, verse 23. They go back to their own. They go back to base and they report all that had happened. And then immediately... They raise their voices together in prayer to God. So this is the church in action. This is what we do. This is us. This is Christian fellowship in action. And uh, they've been bold, you know, before the Jewish council. They're bold in prayer. And it's very God-centered. And the asking part is very straightforward. And prayer probably should be like this. Prayer, I don't know whether you know what I mean by this, but prayer shouldn't be an exercise in us churning over our anxiety and working it over again and again and again. Now, sometimes, if I'm really worried about something, I know when I try to pray about it, it's a bit like that. I'm just kind of getting more anxious. And that's why we need each other to stay God-centered, God-focused, and, and not do that thing. Now, the first words in their prayer, Sovereign Lord, um, doesn't sound very good in Greek. 
Because in Greek, the word there is despotes, despot. Now, I hope you'll agree with me. It wouldn't be very good news, would it, if I stood here and said that God is a, a despot? But in the Greek, it, it doesn't have that negative co- connotation. It just means almighty ruler. So translated, sovereign lord. It's as if they're saying, look, the council can make all of these threats, but they ain't as powerful as you are, Lord. You are the sovereign Lord. You're a higher authority. And then look at how their prayer is shaped. Just look at how it's God-centered all the time. Before they ask for anything at all, they focus on the Lord. And in three ways, verse 24 Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. You made. So they're praying, quite consciously, to the Lord of creation, the creator. Now that gives a bit of perspective when you're praying, doesn't it? Actually, you're the one who made the whole thing. You made, they say. And then in verse 25, you spoke. It says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then there's a quote from Psalm 2. So it's you spoke. So not only are they praying to the God of creation, they're praying to the God of revelation. The one who has spoken to us through his word and through Jesus So that gives even more perspective to their prayer. And then finally, in verses 27 and 28, they say, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand would happen, what you had decided. So that's the God of creation the God of revelation, and now the Lord of history. What you had decided would happen. This is the God that we pray to when we come back to base and pray with each other. That's what the early church thought about God, and that's the basis on which they prayed, and that's a great vision, isn't it, for prayer? A vision of God which gives us a kind of humble posture. And if we get that kind of perspective, then I think actually asking for stuff is very straightforward. We're not praying out of our anxiety or our worry. We've got that heavenly perspective. We just then need to ask in a straightforward way. So let's see what they ask for. Now, verse 29, now, Lord, number one, consider their threats. Okay, so they They don't ask God to blast their enemies. They don't ask God to judge them. All they do is ask God, the God of creation, the God who knows everything, look, Lord, this is what's happening. Consider their threats. They don't even pray for personal protection. Lord, consider their threats. And then the second thing they pray for is boldness. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, despite the threats. What they're praying for 
is the ability to speak about Jesus in a natural way with more than normal freedom. That's a very desirable thing to pray for, isn't it? We'll come back to that. And then finally, the third element, verse 30, they just say, oh, and stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, the focus of the prayer is on them being able to speak freely. But the supplementary bit is, Lord, at the same time, if you, if you do these miracles of mercy in a way that complements what we're saying, that would be really powerful. And you can see from later on in Acts that that did happen. It's just happened with the healing of the lame beggar. That's why they got into trouble. And it's a powerful thing. But the focus is on them being able to speak about Jesus. And then finally, the result, verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and prayer answered, spoke the word of God boldly with that freedom and spontaneity before the, uh, beyond the normal. So the place was shaken. Now imagine that. That wasn't a scary thing. The result of the building being shaken was that they were even more unshaken, if you like, in their faith. And, did you notice, they were filled with the Holy Spirit again. So if you track back, that's not the first time they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. It's actually the third time you can count that Peter has been filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's good, isn't it? You can be filled with the Holy Spirit more than once. You can be filled again and again with the Holy Spirit if you want to speak God's word freely. Okay, so that's the second part of the three parts, and that's looking at what the Scripture actually is saying there. Uh, my picture of the strawberry, very nice strawberry that, I'm sure you'll agree. That's the semicircle, our, our rest, our abiding, enables, us, enables our work for God, our fruitfulness. I should have showed you that before. So straightforward, God-centered prayer. You made, you spoke, you decided, Lord, this is what we need. Amen. That's their prayer. I think the good news here is that God invites us to boldness in two spheres, as suggested by this semicircle. So first of all, in our daily lives, we can pray for boldness in Christian living and in Christian speaking. Uh, most of us are not that bold in speaking. So the gift offered us here is the ability to speak with a freedom beyond the usual. Um, now, it's not to speak with a tactlessness beyond the usual, though some of us may be endowed with that gift and we may need to restrain it. It's not that. It's not um, the ability to speak with an insensitivity that is spectacularly unusual. Um, we don't want that. Um, it's the ability to speak freely of Jesus. And I think free and straightforward speech in a human being 
when they're not trying to meet their own needs is a really attractive thing. You know it when you see it. It's very attractive. So something to ask for and aim for. But the other boldness on the other side of the semicircle is perhaps a bit surprising. That's being bold enough to stop. That's being bold enough to rest. That's being bold enough to believe in the joy and the rest and the Sabbath of God and that that is for you and you're meant to enjoy that at least once a week. That's being bold enough to believe that when we come back to base, back to our own here, this is part of our joyful rest. Okay, note church wardens in a vacancy. You need to find some joy in what you're doing. Amen. In the church. And we need to help them and share the load. Um, so what I'm saying is that I think this is good news. If you are a bit driven, if you are a bit of a workaholic, or if you're prone to guilty feelings, hear this, this is good news for you. God is a God of rhythm between work and rest, between engagement and play and Sabbath. And actually, that's what the world needs to see in God's people. Um, so I think this stuff can be literally life-saving or marriage-saving or soul-saving. So, uh, this vacancy thing. Um, I'm about, oh, by the way, we moved on, on Thursday and Friday. How about that then? That was fun. Of course, everything now is put away and you wouldn't know we've moved at all. It's, um, you know, just perfect, really. In the vacancy, some of us will be busy and active. We need to attend to the semicircle. Uh, may we commend again Ashburnham to you as a place of rest and restoration and laughter. Not inactivity, uh, just good time back at base with each other. Secondly, finally, our mission, like the early churches, is this cooperative endeavor with God where we do go and engage with the world, but God is taking the lead. He's the main mover. And what our, it involves what our speaker at Ashburnham, Anne Morrissey, has become famous. She has a number of famous sayings, Anne, and one of them was venturesome love. Isn't that lovely? Venturesome love is what we do as the church. Um, the Lucerne Outreach, whether or not you're directly involved, de deserves your support because it's venturesome love. So let's keep praying as a church. And when we do, let's focus on God's greatness, as we do. And then when we get to our prayer, it can be as simple as their prayer. So, Lord, what we want is the right person as the next vicar. Amen. Uh, old church, Linda, job done. Amen. Pathetic. Do we want the old church job done or not? Amen. We want to reach out in Lucerne with venturesome love. Amen. And, um, just a bit selfish, but if you've got time, um, say one for me. That is my left foot, by the way. Say one for me as I set out in my kayak on the high seas of the Diocese of Canterbury. Amen.